Definitely Baby acknowledges the traditional owners, the Wurundjeri Willem and Boonarong peoples of the Kulin Nation, of the land on which we record and share our stories. We pay respects to their elders, past, present and future, and recognise this unceded land on which we live, work and learn always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Welcome to Definitely Baby, a podcast that shares interviews with people about their unique experiences in transitioning into parenthood. I'm your host, Chelsea McRae, and in each episode, Definitely Baby shares stories about parents' postpartum period and beyond, and about the challenges and nuances that we unearth in this deeply beautiful yet intense time. This podcast is for those who are about to embark on the journey of parenthood and those who've been parenting for a while. Or maybe you'd just like to listen to some lovely and unique stories. So, whoever you are, thank you for joining us, and I'm so glad that you're here. Every parenting journey is full of surprises, but if you can count on one thing, it's definitely baby. Hi everyone, welcome to episode four. Today I'm joined by Hannah, who, with her husband Chris, are parents to their one-year-old daughter Charlie. Before we begin, I would like to include a trigger warning, as in today's episode we discuss miscarriage and pregnancy loss. If these topics feel too much for you right now, you may want to come back to the episode at a later date. If if the contents of the episode are triggering for you, I've included some resources in the show notes for you to visit. So I thank you so much, Hannah, for sharing your story today. You're a wonderful woman. Let's get into the episode. Hi, Hannah. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Charles. No, you're so welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Could you start by telling everyone a little bit about yourself and your family? Yeah, absolutely. So my family and I live in Armstrong Creek. So just uh, between Geelong and Torquay, so sort of mm-hmm. beachy, beachy side of town. Um, <laughs> I have uh, my husband, Chris, my little dog, Purse, <laughs> and now my daughter, Charlie, um, who is about 10 and a half months old at the moment. And yeah, we're just here, um, living the beach dream, (laughs) (laughs) trying to (laughs) make the most of the sun during these uh, cold summer months. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's very interesting, the summer months that we've got at the moment, isn't it? La Nina's coming through. (laughs) Totally. That's a whole other (laughs) discussion. (laughs) (laughs) These cold summers, not the best. (laughs) Yes, totally. What a beautiful part of the world to live in. (laughs) Thanks. No, I like it here. Yeah. Good um, blend of... You know, you've got everything you need here and we've got the Mm. beach and all of our family and, um, well, a lot of our family and friends are here too. So, yeah, we love being here. That's so nice. (laughs) Yeah. So good. All right. And so what would you like to tell us about your life before becoming a mum to beautiful Charlie? Yeah. So I suppose in general, um, before becoming a mum, we were, we were pretty lucky. We managed to fit in our wedding just before COVID hit. 
I mean, obviously weddings aren't the most important thing going on during COVID, but <laughs> we did count ourselves very lucky to mm. to fit in the wedding just, just before we got in, married. Yeah. yeah, in the December, just before everything locked down. So sort of three months later, everything was being, you know, locked down and um, not able to go ahead. So, yeah, we got uh, married in December of 2019. I also managed to fit in like a big Europe um, and UK trip sort of before we um, started trying for a bubba, which is something that I sort of always wanted to do. I mean, obviously you can still travel with the kids, yep. but I suppose it's a different kind of trip. Just a um, little bit trickier maybe. with yeah, yeah, I can imagine the logistics, <laughs> a lot more things to pack. <laughs> yep. But um, yeah, I just went over with one of my best friends and um, sort of ticked that off the off the bucket list, so that was good. Um, other than that, we were just sort of working, and yeah, I suppose we had pretty a pretty normal twenty thirty year old life. <laughs> but then, yeah, directly before we had Charlie, um, we did deal with uh, we had a couple of losses. So I was pregnant twice before I became pregnant with Charlie. Um, and yeah, lost both of those bubs. So that was obviously something that really affected our journey. And yeah, our, I suppose, yeah, my pregnancy with Charlie and yeah, everything surrounding all of that. So that was a bit of a difficult, well, a very difficult path mm-hmm. that we had to go down on the way to getting Charlie Girl here. Yeah. 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 Oh, I'm so sorry. That's so, so hard. Yeah. Yeah, but, um, yeah. I mean, yeah, I suppose it's part of life mm. and it's part of pregnancy. It's not mm. spoken about probably as much as it should be, but I definitely, you know, I'm really happy to be talking about it with you today because I definitely mm. took a lot of comfort in hearing other people's stories mm. when I was going through that. And even now still, obviously, you know, you, you I suppose, become used to what, has happened to you but you never sort of you'd never say you get over it it's always you know you always carry it with you mm-hmm. so I still like to listen to those sorts of stories um yeah to feel that I suppose camaraderie with other people who have gone through the same sort of thing yeah 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 totally and yeah it's so it's just so important to you know, as you say, it's not talked about enough, but it is so, it's so powerful to have those stories and hear people's experiences on those kind of things. So that's really beautiful that you could have that and really beautiful that you're sharing this with everyone today. So thank you. Thanks, Charles. Thanks for providing the platform. (laughs) Yeah, no worries. (laughs) Um, And yeah, so how did you feel with those losses then going into your pregnancy with Charlie, like how were you feeling at the start (laughs) of that pregnancy? Oh, my gosh, it's so hard Hmm. to explain. Um, So, yeah, I I suppose heading into Charlie's, well, the pregnancy with Charlie, I'd had, so after the two losses in a row, we were actually, we were pretty lucky and our GP really, pushed for us to get a bit of testing done because it is different uh, doctor to doctor. Some doctors will actually wait for you to have three in a row before they do any testing, which I think I would have found really hard on my mental health if I had of, Mm -hmm. you're basically sitting there going, 
waiting for this horrible thing to happen to you again mm-hmm. so that you can get any answers, which seems a bit cruel. Um, so mm-hmm. we were lucky and our doctor um, set us up with like a fertility specialist who did some tests, basically testing things like my thyroid, um, my or our genetic, I suppose, if we had any sort of um, genetic like dispositions to have different um, syndromes and things like that. They tested, oh, I can't even remember now, but a whole bunch of tests. Um, and really, luckily, we came back with everything all clear. But then also it's kind of like you almost hope that they would find something, but something that's easily tweaked like so that you have an answer but you know how to fix it and you know that moving forward in the next pregnancy you're not going to have that same issue whereas when they say oh you, you're looking all good that's positive but you're also like okay so I'm sort of just in the same spot as I was before so what I then did was I sort of went and sought out some alternative like support systems as well so I started getting some acupuncture which was amazing. Like I couldn't recommend that enough. We have um, someone in Geelong who is a fertility-focused acupuncturist and it's sort of like a health clinic. It used to be sort of a more women's health clinic, but I think they've just Mm -hmm. expanded to treating everyone now, which is great because she's the lady's name is Petra and she's amazing. So if anyone needs acupuncture treatment I recommend Mm. Petra at the pod and she yeah started giving me um sessions so I started getting them sort of once a week and then I cut back to fortnightly and my body and my mind and everything was just so stressed after that second loss that I almost felt like I was vibrating like with stress Mm -hmm. if that makes sense Mm -hmm. and so through yeah through the acupuncture it gave me sort of an hour every week where I just had to relax. And I also felt like I was taking something into my hands, like some sort of control into the health of my body and my ability to go into the next pregnancy a little bit better prepared. And so, yeah, I was doing the acupuncture. I was taking you know, all the vitamins and I took some Chinese herbs that the fertility specialist was recommending just to kind of make my body as healthy as possible. I was trying to eat all the, all the right foods and cutting out any chemicals that I had, you know, um, whether I was putting chemicals, um, you know, in my food or whether it was like um, deodorant using like clean deodorants and things like that. So basically my whole life, everything really was sort of centered around trying to position myself to be in the best position that I could be heading into the next pregnancy Mm -hmm. because I suppose it's so silly because you never, well, you often don't know why the losses occur, but you kind of want to remove anything that you possibly could blame yourself for. And then my, the fertility doctor um, who did those tests also set me up so that as soon as I did get pregnant, they had blood tests, blood test slips for me ready to go so that they'd start testing my um, HCG levels and my thyroid and I think it was progesterone as well because basically they found that with people who've had recurrent loss, sometimes in the subsequent pregnancy it can help to have 
a bit more monitoring. I don't know whether it's like a mental thing, like you feel more supported or, yeah, but they've just found that sometimes a bit more support during those early stages of pregnancy has just helped for things to progress nicely and then they can also have the opportunity to intervene. If any of those levels are looking low, they can sort of give you, you know, different hormone, um, yeah, like the progesterone and things like that to assist. So, yeah, the moment I found out that I was pregnant, sorry, such a long-winded answer. No, no, no. <laughs> so, it's so important to talk yeah. about. Oh, yeah, thank yep. you. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, once we found out we were pregnant, yeah very mixed emotions obviously we really really wanted to be pregnant and we were really in part excited because potentially we could end up with a baby but also really afraid because potentially we could end up brokenhearted again and so straight away I booked in those blood tests and I actually found so in the beginning I think it was In the first trimester, I had to have weekly blood tests and I did actually find that really helped me because it was kind of like I just had a weekly goal that I had to get to and I didn't think too, well, I tried not to think too far ahead. It was just get to the next Thursday, that's when my my next blood test is and if that's all good, okay, we breathe and then we just aim for the next Thursday. Yeah, and so that, that actually did help but I was so nervous early on and I actually had a, a scare early on um, in my first scan and I just had the worst scan experiences mm-hmm. in both of my earlier pregnancies. Yeah, I'd, I'd ended up having people that were pretty insensitive about everything that was going on but with this particular place I had a scan and the the stenographer kind of fell a bit silent and obviously... I was sitting there expecting the worst because that's all I'd ever really had when I'd gone in for an ultrasound. And I was like, oh, is everything okay? What's going on? Mm. And she goes, oh, I think I can see a bleed in the sack. And I was like, here we go again. Um, And it was a Friday and she Mm. had to send the scans off to sort of like the head, I suppose, radiologist who would look over them Mm. and then give me the official results and she was like oh look it it might not be anything but it does look like a bleed but the doctor will contact you on Monday and so then I just went home and then of course like you don't want to google but you I actually called one of my best friends um Caitlin you know Caitlin Mm -hmm. as well and I was like oh my god this is what's happened like I don't know what to do I was like do you know anything about this and she was like it's okay I'll google it for you So you don't have to go through all of the, and she's like, and she's a nurse as well. So she has a bit of that medical background and she was like, I'll go through everything and I'll, I'll let you know, you know, sort of what's happening. And Mm -hmm. so she called me back and obviously tried to reassure me and like that was a, it was a better option than me doing the Googling, but of course you're still (laughs) very nervous. Um, And then on Monday it turned out that, um, the head radiologist said there was nothing wrong with the scan at all. It looked perfect. And so the, oh. I don't know, the stenographer must have just misread oh something God. on there. I know. And it's like, um, yeah, and, of course, you start spiralling. But mm. thankfully everything was pretty 
pretty good with Charlie's pregnancy. I was very sick early on. Um, Yeah, for the first probably 14 weeks I was quite sick. Yeah, but it was funny because I'd been very sick with my second pregnancy as well and a lot of people had told me, oh, that's a really good sign, you know, if you're sick. And obviously that pregnancy I held to that as like a really positive thing but then I ended up having a missed miscarriage so my body didn't recognize that Mm. the baby had stopped growing and so my Mm. body was kind of continuing on with the pregnancy Mm. even though the baby had passed away so this time whenever I was sick at least the prior time I'd been like, okay, it's a good sign. Whereas this time I was like, I'm sick and who knows what's happening. Like, mm-hmm. so definitely a different kettle of fish, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, just something quickly there, like around, you mentioned things that people would say in your first pregnancy with, you know, mm-hmm. the sickness is a good sign. Like, was there any other things that, you know, friends and family would say, like the discourse around... Um, your losses was any of that challenging because I know a lot of women do struggle with those kind yeah. of things that people say that you know they think is being helpful or mm. useful at the time but yeah it's um, so like thank you for asking that that's honestly yeah one of the hardest parts of it is how I suppose yeah how little people know about it and how mm-hmm. therefore how uncomfortable people are surrounding the topic. And so then people don't really know how to speak about it. Um, And often people say things that are quite unintentionally hurtful. Um, I suppose minimising and dismissive of what you're going through. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously my really close people were all very, very supportive. Um, We were really lucky. We have beautiful friends and we have really supportive family members who were so helpful and loving during that time. But it was more, you know, people that you'd see, co-workers or people that you don't know quite as closely or, uh, yeah, people that are just that little bit more removed who will say things like, at least you know you can get pregnant or at least you're young, you can try again or at least you weren't that far along Um, because with our first loss I was six weeks pregnant Um, and that was sort of a, I suppose, a textbook miscarriage. You know, Mm -hmm. you start bleeding and then, um, yeah, you miscarry the baby. Mm -hmm. Um, And our second loss was... Well, I was, I ended up having to have a DNC um, procedure um, at 12 weeks. Um, but we sort of found out at about nine and a half weeks that things might not be going very well, but it was sort of confirmed, mm-hmm. yeah, a bit further along. Um, and yeah, there's so many comments like that that are just really dismissive. Um, yeah, just. Uh, as if it's not really a loss. Um, I'm trying to remember oh, whatever, what else. I actually had this incident with my neighbour um, at my old house where um, I, I think she she wasn't sort of great socially. Um, she would often say things that were a bit rude, um, but you could tell that was kind of just her way. Um, and one day she came up to me after I'd just lost 
um, our second bub, and she came up to me and she said, oh, are you pregnant? You look, you look a bit fat. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> Oh, my God, um, that's the last well, thing I need to hear. Yeah. <laughs> I actually was pregnant and I actually said to her, I was like, look, I actually have just lost our second baby, so I was pregnant. I was like, you shouldn't ask people, you shouldn't be asking strangers about their pregnancy status. Mm. It's actually really upsetting and you also shouldn't be telling people that they're fat. No. Um, <laughs> which, like, I'm a very non-confrontational person, so I was, like, mm. saying it and I was, like, shaking and then I, like, stormed mm. inside. Um, yeah. oh, and But then I just something. cried because it was just, like, <laughs> one of those things where, yeah, you just, I don't know, it just brings everything up and, totally. yeah, sometimes people's words can be, yeah, not not good at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they can make yeah. everything worse, but some people's words can make things much better as well. So mm. definitely a mixed bag. But in general, it should just be treated like any loss. Like, you know, if someone mm. lost, you know, their sister or their husband or their friend, there wouldn't be any buts or, like, you wouldn't be like, oh, mm. at least you can remarry or at mm-hmm. least, you know, like... Yep. Sometimes things are just bad and it's okay to say, I'm so sorry for your loss. That's really awful. I'm here if you need to chat. And that's yep. kind of the best sort of thing that you can say because, yeah, there's nothing really that's going to make you feel like there's any sort of silver lining lining in that moment, I think. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so hard. <laughs> yeah. It's so like they're just, you know, as you say, it's, often completely unintentional and they're trying to you know like make you feel better but it's that's the last thing that you need to hear is those at least (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah I'm so sorry Han oh thanks Charles yeah you know it's good to good to share though and hopefully some other people can yeah either just be a bit more aware on the topic or find some Mm -hmm. comfort in it themselves as well yeah yeah yeah, totally. Um, and so how was the rest of your pregnancy? I know you had COVID near the end of the pregnancy oh, yeah. as well, didn't you? Yeah. 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 Well, so the rest of the pregnancy was pretty good. I found that with each milestone that came and passed, I was able to enjoy the pregnancy a little bit more. It was definitely a big step when I was able to find out Charlie's sex just because it made me feel like I knew her a little bit more and then a big step again when you know we passed like the anatomy scan or I don't know just when each milestone sort of came up it would help and then especially once she started moving around I definitely enjoyed the pregnancy a lot more once I could feel her moving Mm -hmm. you know that feeling of connection and yeah it just um I yeah I really I obviously still had fears but um, I also really loved pregnancy once I could feel her in there and have that little bond going on. But then, yeah, just towards the end, I would have been about, I think, 36 weeks pregnant. Um, I got COVID. Mm. And thankfully, I was fine. Um, mm. I think COVID's much more dangerous in your early pregnancy um from what I've heard yeah if you're earlier on but at that stage sort of my doctor was like obviously wanting to check in with me but wasn't too concerned based on my symptoms and how everything had been going 
I basically just got so, so tired. I mean, you're already so tired at 36 Mm -hmm. weeks. (laughs) So I was so fatigued. I had a couple Mm -hmm. of days where I had some more of those um, symptoms, like the cold and flu sort of symptoms and the achiness. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, but then it passed quite quickly for me and with nothing too serious. So that was that was good. It was probably more <laughs> challenging because my husband got it too, but he got it a bit more seriously. And so then it was kind of like he was knocked out <laughs> for a bit. And so my helper was not in action for a little while, but then he, he was fine. And, you know, we actually, it ended up sort of being, I mean, not that you want it, but the timing of it was probably okay because it meant that we should hopefully not get it between, you know, then and the time of the birth. So then we'd both definitely be allowed in the hospital because, you know, at that time, if you had COVID, obviously as the birthing person, you were allowed in. Um, But if your support person had COVID, they weren't allowed in with you. So it was, yeah, it was kind of good that he'd had it and, Mm. you know, he had that grace period, I think, of eight weeks or so at the time where you couldn't catch it again. So Mm. we knew that he'd be able to come in. So that was, that was a silver lining, I suppose, to having COVID Mm. when you're pregnant. (laughs) Um, Yeah, but it all went Mm. quite well towards the very end. In the last three weeks, I got a lot of prodromal labour, which you had that too, didn't you? Yeah. 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 Oh, oh wow. Yeah. Yeah. Not fun. <laughs> no. And um yeah, it would just wake wake you up at two in the morning and you'd think it's on. Mm. Like I remember the first few nights I was timing contractions and I was on my ball and you know, I was telling Chris, Oh, here we go, like it's starting and <laughs> even you know, a lot of the time I would get to the point in the contraction timer app where it would be like, All right things are getting ready, grab your bags. Like it would give me those prompts um, and then it would just ease right off. And then, yeah, I was just sort of sporadically getting contractions and they would build and then they'd stop and, yeah. How, um, sorry to interrupt you, like what was kind of like the pain, kind like the pain of those contractions? Like were they manageable for you or was it kind of, did it feel like labour, labour? It went up and down a bit over those three weeks. There were times when it definitely felt the same as it did in the early labour stages on the night that I actually went into labour. And then there were other nights where it was much more mild and I knew that it probably wasn't going anywhere. But there were definitely, yeah, nights where I thought it was getting really intense, really close together, and it was very similar. So the night that I did go into labour, For the first probably like three or so hours, maybe even four hours, I was like, I think we're happening, but I don't know, it might stop. Um, But then, yeah, it obviously reached a new level and and we knew it was on. So, Mm. yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, beautiful. And then how long was, you know, the actual active kind of labour stage before I was born? Well, so... I probably went into early labour at about 6pm and just laboured at home for a while. On my ball, I had a TENS machine and it probably got to about midnight and I was like, it's getting pretty intense. Like maybe we should start thinking about 
even just calling the hospital and letting them know where I'm at and, yeah, being a little bit more alert. And then basically between probably like 12 and 1, it just kicked up a notch and Mm. they were coming really hard and fast, close together, and I was like, okay, I think we should head in. Let's get my mother-in-law over here to watch the dog Um, and we'll get in the car and we'll head to the hospital. And on the journey from our house to the hospital, which isn't far at all, it was probably 10 minutes in the car, it just became really, really unbearable. Mm -hmm. Um, And we pulled up to the hospital and I was kind of like trying to walk to the front door and I was just like (laughs) in agony. And I got in there and, you know, I'd had this plan. Well, not a plan. Obviously I knew that things had to be very flexible and, you know, um, a lot can change. But my ideal birth situation was that I wanted to have like a water birth and just as unassisted as possible as long as everything was going well and I got in there and I was just in so much pain and they popped me in a room and I said oh I want the water the water birth room please and they put me in there and they put me down on the bed and they're like oh we'll we'll check you and because I'd been in prodromal labor for the weeks leading up I'd been checked a few days ago and I'd been at a three already. Yeah. And so I was like, because I was in so much, I was like, oh my gosh, come on. I've got to at least be at like a six or something. Like I'm in active labor for sure. Like, yeah, I just was expecting a bit of a higher number, even though I know you shouldn't sort of um, put those expectations on yourself. But um, I got in there and they checked me and they go, oh, Dal, you're at a four. Um, And I was like, (laughs) I've been at the three for days like what's happening and and I remember just feeling so discouraged and Mm. unfortunately I had a little bit of a moment there where the people that were assisting me I could really tell that I I felt like they thought I was laying it on a bit thick like Mm. I think they were kind of like oh here we go like bit of a drama queen here, like we're in for a long night if, you know, I'm at a four and this is how I'm acting. Mm. And and I was sitting there and I was like, oh, my gosh, if, if this is a four and it could potentially be hours and hours, like mm. I'm going to need an epidural, like this is too much, something doesn't feel right. And the midwives kept kind of being like, oh, yeah, Dal, you're all good, don't worry, just breathe. And I could feel like something, something was going on, like it was... I I just had this instinct that there was more to it and, yeah, I was getting very, I suppose, like patronising responses from the midwives, unfortunately, um, at that stage because they thought I was just, yeah, I don't know. But everyone has different pain thresholds, so I suppose you shouldn't, no matter what's going on, you shouldn't really be judgmental. But, um. Yeah, so basically it just kept escalating and I was like, I need the epidural, please, like bring me the epidural. <laughs> and they were like, yes, yes, star, like, oh, you've got all the time in the world, it's your first baby, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then one of the midwives went out of the room and went to like the head midwife on the floor and was like, oh, I, something's, I don't know if something's going on, like it seems to be like more progressed than what her sort of, check was showing and the head midwife came in and was like all right 
uh, what's going on? What was she at? And they were like a four. Um, and this, at this point it was an hour ago that I was at a four and she was like, Oh gosh, it's all right. I'll breathe through it. Like, <laughs> and I was like, ah. <laughs> and then I popped up on the bed and they're like, okay, we'll check you. We'll check you. Um, lay down on the bed, you know, open your legs, blah, blah, blah. And, um, I did that. And then my water just broke all over her. <laughs> <laughs> and she goes, oh, God, we're at an eight and a half. We're at an eight and a half. Like, and so oh in that hour, I'd moved mm-hmm. from a four to an eight and a half. And they were like, then they started sort of taking me a bit more seriously. Mm, oh <laughs> and gosh, then I yeah. felt also this feeling of like, okay, my pain it is valid. Like I felt a bit validated in that I knew something totally. was happening. Yeah. Like, yeah. And before that, I'd felt a bit ashamed, like I was obviously in too much pain, you know, compared to what they expected from me. Um, But in that moment, they sort of started, yeah, taking me a bit serious, a bit more seriously and listening a bit more to how I felt, which was Mm -hmm. good. And then, yeah, they brought in the epidural. And at this point, like, I hadn't opened my eyes, like I was in another realm. I don't even know where I was. Like when I talked to Chris about it, he says that he thinks I only opened my eyes twice the whole time that I was at the hospital. And and one of the times he was like holding me and he was like, Hannah, Hannah, look at me, look at me. And I opened my (laughs) eyes and he was like, you were not at home. Like your eyes were rolled back. You were checked out. Yeah. In the zone. (laughs) Totally. In a whole other place. Um, And yeah, so then I basically ended up, yeah, getting the epidural, which was, oh my gosh, such a relief. (laughs) It was like the best yeah, it, it just, but I said to the um, anesthesiologist, I was like, if like possible, well, actually I didn't say it because I was like, yeah, not present. <laughs> but mm. Chris said it for me because it was in my birth plan. I was like, um, I just wanted a light epidural if that's possible so that I can still feel the contractions and feel all of the, yeah, surges coming through. Um in a lighter form. (laughs) Mm. And he did it perfectly. Like I, it took away the edge of the pain, but I could still feel everything. And just as he had put the epidural in my back, my body started pushing. And so I got that, um, what is the fetal? The fetal ejection. uh, Yeah. Ejection reflex. Yeah. And it was like the craziest feeling that I've ever had. Did you? Oh, well, obviously, no, yes. No, no, no. It's just, <laughs> sorry, Chess. Um, no, no. Um, no, it's just a wild, wild feeling. Mm. Like I was just sitting there and I was like, my body is pushing. And like, you just feel all of your insides just trying yeah. to push this baby out and you can't control it. And so basically, yeah, my body had started pushing. They had a quick look and I was at a 10. So I was like ready to push. But they had also put, just before they put the epidural in me, because everything had been moving so quickly, they'd put a little monitor on Charlie's head. So there's a, a type of, yeah, monitor that they, yeah. The, little, the clip? Yeah, it's like just yeah, on the top of their little head um, yes, for a yeah. more accurate 
I think, reading if they're a bit worried because they just wanted to make sure she wasn't in distress because everything was moving quite quickly. And, yeah, then they started noticing that she had gone into a little bit of distress. So, yeah, she was decelerating in her heartbeat, I suppose. Um, And so they said to me, they were like, okay, we're going to have to, we'll we'll give you five pushes and, oh, no, we'll give you three pushes and then if you can't, if if that's not working, we might need to use a vacuum and assist you mm-hmm. in getting her out. And at this point, I was like very happy to do whatever we needed to do to get her out safely. And I'd also, while I'd been pregnant, I'd done a heap of research. I'm someone who like loves knowing all the ins and outs of sort of whatever I'm like focused on at that time. So I knew all of like the possible interventions and the risks. And so I felt very confident in saying to them, like asking any questions that I knew needed to be asked for that particular intervention and then saying yes to it, like confidently. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Which, yeah, that made me feel, I suppose, like it was in my power still, even though it wasn't all going to the ideal plan, um, it still very much felt like I was in control and I was comfortable with the decisions that were being made. And so, yeah, we ended up, they um, did a episiotomy and used a vacuum to get her out. And, yeah, she was just big cry straight away, um, yeah, straight on my chest. And, yeah, basically from the time that I got into the hospital to when she was born, it was three hours. So it was quite oh, wow. quick. Yeah. Very quick. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it was super intense, but I look back on it so positively. Like even though there were those moments where I knew that something else was going on and the midwives didn't quite know yet, I look back mm. at the whole thing so positively. Like it went really well. But, yeah, I, I really am happy with how the birth went. She was so healthy. I was fine. I needed a few stitches and then, yeah, that was sort of, that was it. Then we had our little Charlie girl. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> oh, that's lovely. Thank you for sharing that. No. Sounds like a, yeah, great. Thanks, wow. Charles. No, you're so welcome. <laughs> yeah. And so how are you feeling in those first few days after Charlie was born? How was your recovery? Yeah. Um. I'd say physically my recovery was pretty good. I obviously was a bit tender and my stitches were a little bit sore, but I'd say generally I felt physically much better than I had expected. I it, it was the emotions that were and the hormones that were the hardest thing for me. Um yeah, I you know, you feel so overwhelmed, everything is new, you're not sure if what you're doing is the right thing, you're not sure if they're getting enough milk. And then I had that that big, I suppose when my milk came in, that sort of postpartum blues where you're just overwhelmed with emotion, everything's making you cry, <laughs> you feel so distressed. Chris was like, oh, my God, what, how do I help this situation? <laughs> um, yeah, and, like, a lot of fear surrounding yeah, Charlie and I honestly, the first five or so nights, I didn't really sleep because I just was watching her and I was really nervous that she was going to pass away. And I remember messaging my sister and being like, Em, were you just so afraid that 
like because she has a little boy, as you know, mm-hmm. um, and <laughs> he is about a year older than Charlie. So Em was a little bit further along in her parenting journey. And I was like, were you, when you first brought him home from the hospital, were you so afraid that he was going to die? And mm-hmm. and she was like, oh, yeah, like she did. At the time she was like, oh, absolutely, like that's so understandable. You know, it's very normal, but don't worry, it will ease up. And and I was like, I can't sleep. I, I just am staring at her. Mm-hmm. And she goes, I'm coming over. I'm going to sit there and watch Charlie and I won't take my eyes off her while you sleep. Mm-hmm. And it honestly was like the most, uh, it, like it's probably the most, impactful thing that happened to me postpartum was M came over and she gave me like a little baby crash course. So she came over and she was like, this is how you burp them. This is how you soothe them. Like Mm -hmm. these are some techniques. Like if you can't get her to stop crying, we try this. And it was like, I had, yeah, a little crash course in, in babies. And then, yeah, she just sat there and just stared at Charlie Mm -hmm while I slept, obviously like still had to get up and feed her every couple of hours, but like I actually got some sleep. (laughs) Um, yeah, it was so special and helpful. I, um, that was, yeah, lucky to have her and it was really sweet too, because I'm like the big sister, but in that moment Mm. it was kind of like she was the big sister for me. So yeah, that was like, probably the most challenging thing in those early days. Yeah, but thankfully M, M came to the rescue and <laughs> helped me out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Yeah. How about the, the days to weeks after that? Did you find anything challenging in terms of, you know, cooking, cleaning, managing visitors, all of those kind of things? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I feel like you're just in, well, this is how I felt anyway, in that rhythm of just feed, burp, clean their bum, (laughs) Mm -hmm. put them to sleep. And then maybe you have like half an hour between when you finished all that and when the cycle starts again. And so especially feeding myself, it was not something I had time to do. So I had to really rely on Chris to bring me food in those little gaps or even sit there while I'm feeding her and just like pass me food into my mouth because that's something that I just wasn't able to, I don't know, find time for. And I knew I needed to eat and, you know, get my strength up and help, um, you know, with my milk supply and all of that. But, you know, you finish that little cycle and you just are a little bit exhausted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so the last thing you want to do is make a meal. Um, totally. But it was good. We had, you know, a, quite a few of our family members, all of Chris's side of the family lives locally to us. And so they sort of did a bit of a meal train and they were bringing over meals for dinner and like snacks and little healthy things that I could just grab and nibble on um, every couple of days probably for the first couple of weeks so that was really helpful we had some friends do the same thing as well which was so helpful I I had yeah I had a friend um drive up from Ballarat um Courtney Henderson I think you know yeah know her as well she drove all the way up from Ballarat and just Mm. dropped off like a week's worth of meals that she'd slowly been sort of just making extra portions of her dinners and Mm. then freezing them and she just dropped them off and was like, you know, I I don't want to interrupt you guys. I know like you having your space and, um, 
and just dropped off all this food for us, which was such mm-hmm. a saviour. So, yeah, I feel like in terms of those basic life things, it definitely helps to call on your support systems in those moments because otherwise we would have ended up ordering so much, you know, takeout and stuff and that's not always the most nutritious option. (laughs) Um, And obviously we still did that some nights as well, but it feels so good when you get some good food in you. Yeah, it just helps you feel a little bit more alive during those crazy weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so good. Sounds (laughs) like you had some really great support there. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. We were, yeah, yeah, very lucky, especially, yeah, Mm. having, yeah, Chris's family so close by and my sister Mm. close by and then, yeah, we've got some really good friends that we are pretty much our family as well. So, yeah, yeah. really lucky. Yep. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> and how about um, how long did Chris have off work? So he had um, a month off of work, which mm-hmm. was awesome. That was so amazing. Mm-hmm. That's really um, good. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, people obviously make it work, but I don't know how you do mm-hmm. it without anyone in those early days. Um you just barely even have the ability to keep the baby, <laughs> like the baby going, you know, that's your whole focus is just yeah. doing everything for the bub. So I don't know how you would fit in even just feeding anything yourself or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. Totally. So yeah. he, he yeah. was so key in us entering mm. that stage. Like, yeah, he just kept me, I suppose, fed and <laughs> having water mm. and he would, you know, I'd try and get naps where I could. Like it's so hard to, but then he'd be on bub duty while I'd try and fit a nap in. Um, yeah, so a month, which is good. Yeah, I, I'd obviously, you'd love for them to have longer to, you know, spend mm. with bub and it's really only after that first month that I sort of started feeling slightly mm. confident and like coming out of that haze a little bit. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. So you kind of wish that he would have had a bit of the more, I don't know, the bonding time rather than those first four weeks are kind of just like survival time. Mm. <laughs> but, um, you know, he um, obviously spends time with her when he's still at work, but it's just not quite mm. the same. Yeah. Yep, yep. And how did you find that transition of him going back to work? Did he go back five days a week? Um, so he he went back, yes, to five days a week. But at the time he was working from, what was it? So it was from like he was doing early. So he's got a new job since then. But his old job he was working from, I think it was six in the morning until like three in the afternoon or something. So it was kind of nice because it felt like we still had part of the day all together as a family. So that was sort of a nice transition. Now he's in a nine to five. (laughs) But in those early days, that was so nice because we could kind of go for a little afternoon walk or, you know, do little things before the night hours hit and you're in that shift mode of (laughs) trying to get through the night. But um, I was definitely nervous for him to head back to work. But uh, my sister-in-law said to me, she was like, trust me, you'll be really nervous. She was like, when my partner went back, I cried, but then you'd just make it work. And, you know, it ends up being easier than what you imagine for it to be. And that's exactly how I found it. I was really nervous. And then 
it was actually a really successful like first day. I remember I, you know, kept Charlie happy and and she was eating and (laughs) everything, all the baby stuff was all good. But then I also managed to, I think, like clean up a little bit. I think I got some dinner ready. Like it was a really, I felt like I ticked a lot of boxes that day. So it set me up to feel, yeah, much more confident going back into, yeah, him being at work, having such a good first day. Um, Yep. Yeah, it made me feel like, okay, cool, I can do this. (laughs) Even though it's obviously better with them around because you can share um, everything. But, um, yeah, it wasn't as bad. I'd I'd anticipated for it to be much more stressful than I found it to be, yeah. Okay, that's good. It's good you you expected it to be worse than the other way around. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, You're pleasantly surprised. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, so good. And how's your feeding journey been with Charlie? Yeah, um, pretty good in general. Um, so she latched pretty well early on. I did have a lot of nerves around like whether she was getting enough milk because obviously you just, unless you're mm. bottle feeding, then you just can't know. <laughs> you just don't know, do you? It's just so, it's a, it, yeah, I just, you don't know yeah. how to actually know that they're getting enough milk. There's no indicator. I you know. can't see how much is coming out. I remember looking up like, how much yeah. should my baby be drinking each feed? And it'd be like this many meals. Totally. And I'd be like, how do you know that? You know, how do you know? And it's so, yeah, you just wish, mm. yeah, you wish there was a way. You wish your boob was see through. You could mm. see the milk coming out. Yep. <laughs> um, but unfortunately, not. Um, yeah. But yeah, the, our feeding journey has been pretty good. Um, I've had a couple of instances where she sort of had some breast refusal for um a couple of days here and there and that's so stressful you're like oh I want to feed you and um yeah you just don't want to feed you can't force them to feed but then as she's gotten a bit older so she has we've had a little bit of I suppose issues with her weight so when she was born she was born quite average so in the 50th percentile and then um basically at this point she Last time we weighed her, she was at about the 15th, but for a while she did dip down to about the 4th. So she was never losing weight, but she wasn't gaining as much as they wanted her to. So she wasn't following that trajectory of the 50, you know, where she should be sticking on the 50th or whatever. And so we've had to have a lot of extra appointments where they're weighing her and it's, it can be quite stressful. <laughs> yeah, I had one of my like maternal health nurses just be like, you're not feeding her enough. And I was like, I like can't force them to drink more than they want yeah, to drink. Yeah. Like, really? um, yeah. But then sort of since being on solids, I've basically just had to give her like a higher healthy fats diet. So just, yep. just basically try and give her as much food as she wants to eat as well as milk. And she's sort of slowly climbing up there. Um, but she's always been like such a happy bub. She's always been super active, like meeting all of those milestones and stuff, Mm. but they do get so stuck on the numbers and it can stress you out so much. Like Mm. it really stressed me out for quite a while because obviously you wonder, you you hope, you know, you're doing enough for them. You want them to be healthy or worried that you're not doing enough for them. Um, but yeah, I've sort of learned to now look at all the other signs you know is she happy is she active is she meeting those milestones does she have lots of wet nappies like Mm -hmm. all those sorts of things which yeah she does so 
we're just still, we're still giving her lots of food, but we're, yeah, not letting it be, I suppose, like a big um, a stressor because yep. she seems very healthy in all other mm. ways. <laughs> yes. Yep, totally. She does. Yeah. Such a happy baby. <laughs> She's gorgeous. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Are you still breastfeeding her now? Yeah, I am. Yeah, I'm still breastfeeding her during the day and then she still does about one feed overnight, which obviously goes up and down depending on <laughs> whatever she's going through at the time. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, no, I, I feel really lucky that I'm able to breastfeed her and I really love it. Mm-hmm. I love that connection mm-hmm. and um, the bond. Yeah, it's so mm-hmm. special and that time with her and when you feed them in the middle of the night and then they fall asleep and they're just yeah. so content and, yeah, it's just such a beautiful mm-hmm beautiful thing yeah so still still breastfeeding she actually won't take a bottle which Mm -hmm. makes it tricky for me to go and do things without her um but then ever ever taken one or is it kind of so when she was really little we used to give her like a little bit of expressed milk just before she would go to bed as like a little top up to try and get her a midwife suggested it to us to see if it would help her to sleep a bit longer give her a little bit of extra booby milk through the bottle um I don't think it worked (laughs) but she took the bottle then but yeah then we sort of stopped doing that and I tried to reintroduce it to her I tried like for probably like five weeks every afternoon I'd just offer her a bit of bottle um Mm -hmm. to try and get her on it just so I had that option to, you know, like go out for dinner or go out yeah. and do something. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> but she is very um, sure about her decision to not want the bottle. Uh, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a bit. It's like, I know what I want and it's totally. Straight from the tap, please, which I'm all. like, oh, I get it. It works. It's comforting. Yeah. Why yep. would you want the bottle yeah. <laughs> when you have totally. the boob? Yeah. But, um, <laughs> It would be very helpful. (laughs) So, yeah, she's still not taking it. So it's a bit tricky at the moment, but I just keep thinking like this phase with her breastfeeding is going to pass so quickly and then I'll be able to do all those things again, but I'm sure I'll really miss breastfeeding her at that point. So, yeah, you you have to, I suppose, make some some sacrifices. (laughs) But, yeah, no, very lucky to be able to to give her the booby milk. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wonderful. So good. And how about your um, sleep journey with her? How's that been? Yeah. Um, so oh, she was okay after a few, so the, maybe the first two weeks, oh, you know, it's so hectic. They're just cluster feeding all the time. And then I feel like she got into a pattern where she slowly was kind of reducing her night wakings. And maybe it was at the point just when she was around four months where she was sort of waking maybe like two or three times a night. Um, And I was like, that's pretty good. Like she's still super little. And then she hit that four-month regression and we had three months of her waking all the time. So like she went from Mm. waking every hour and a half to then it was every hour, then it was every 45 minutes, and then it got to to a patch where she would have parts of the night where she would wake every 20 minutes, so maybe like a two-hour patch where she'd wake every 20 minutes. And it was, Mm. I mean, this is going to sound really dramatic, but I 
I felt like I was maybe going to die. Like, because I was that sleep deprived, I just felt like a zombie. Like you just can't function. You You feel like you're going a bit insane. Mm -hmm. You can't focus. You have no capacity for like thought. You can't remember anything. I I remember like laying down in bed and my body shaking because I was so Mm -hmm. tired. And like every night when you lay down in bed to go to sleep, you're just like, so stressed because you know you're just buckling in for another night of kind of what feels like a bit of torture. (laughs) Yeah, and it's almost so hard to go to sleep because you're just laying there thinking like, are they going to wake up like any minute now and I'm going to have to like, yeah, yeah. Totally. It almost feels worse to be just asleep and be woken up than to have not gone to sleep Mm. at all. Yes, yep. Yeah, so we had that for like three months and I got to the point where I was like, you know, I tried all of the things ourselves. Mm. Well, we tried all of the things ourselves. And then I was like, I think, like, I think I'm at the point where we need to do something a bit more drastic because mm. I don't think I'm the best mum right now while I'm so depleted. And so we ended up getting in a sleep trainer to do like a gentle sleep training with her it's like a pick up put down method I don't know if you know much about sleep training yeah 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 so like um basically yeah you thankfully she's not a big crier so when she was waking Mm. up she wasn't crying she was kind of just like grizzling and then it would wake me up and then I'd have to soothe her and so basically yeah just allowing her to self-soothe a bit more but yeah I um it's lucky that she wasn't a big crier because there were a couple of moments during that where, you know, she'd cry and it just breaks your heart to yeah, hear them so and not hard, be yeah. there holding them. But it worked really well. Like we only mm-hmm. had to do, like the first day that we did it, she immediately, I think she went down to waking, it was maybe three times that night, going from waking every 45 minutes. That's great. And then... Um, yeah, now it's at the point where she usually only wakes once, sometimes twice, which is, like, so much more manageable. Totally. Yeah, so that was, like, a big shift for us um, because it was, yeah, it was a bit hectic. <laughs> mm, oh, my God, yeah. There's nothing nothing quite like the <laughs> the, fit, the sleep deprivation feeling. Yeah. It is, like, like you say, like it's... I don't think it is dramatic to say you feel like you're going to die because that's yeah. actually, you know, that's it's a form of torture. Like that was methods that used to be used to actually torture people was depriving them of sleep. And it's just. Absolutely. Oh, you can see why it was used. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Even now I I feel like when I have moments where her sleep's disturbed, Mm -hmm. um, it immediately kind of like makes me stressed Mm. to a level that I don't think I would usually be because I'm like, oh, my God, what if we're going back there? Like it's a little yep, bit yep, like, yep. yeah, I don't know. It's so funny, but I'm slowly being like, okay, everything is a season. Mm-hmm. Everything mm-hmm. passes. It's okay. She might have some crappy nights, but then she'll yep. get back on track. Like, yep. yeah, yeah, it's, totally. um, yeah, it's, it's a wild journey. <laughs> Choice, choice. Yeah, how about your relationship with your husband, Chris? How's that changed since you've become parents? Yeah, oh, my gosh. So 
during that patch, oh my gosh, where she wasn't sleeping. <laughs> oh yes, I can chips relate. in the night. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh, like who are you? Oh hi. Yeah. yeah, we were just because it was so bad, I would then go to sleep when I put her down to sleep to just mm. try and snatch every moment that I could mm. because I knew that I was going to be woken up in 45 minutes. So if I went to bed at 11, then I might get <laughs> a few lots of 20 minutes. If I went to bed at 7.30, then maybe, you know, it'll add up a little bit more. But at that time, yeah, we weren't, we, yeah, we weren't having much time for each other at all. So he'd get home from work. We'd have a little bit of family time with Charlie, then he'd put her down. We always do a thing where I feed her and then he reads her a book and puts her down to sleep. And then we'd have dinner and then I'd go to bed pretty much like during those three months. So that was really hard. You know, I definitely missed like having time with Chris and he was the same, like we missed each other and he was staying in the spare room because if I was already getting up however many times a night, there's no point waking him up as well because he had to go to work because she was in our bedroom at that time. And so, yeah, we really, our relationship wasn't um, being, I suppose, prioritised at that time. Thankfully, we weren't like, we weren't fighting or anything. Like it wasn't negative. It was just that we didn't have that time for each other. But once we got her sleep back on track, um, we then also moved her into her own room and that really changed a lot of things like we then got sort of our evenings back um we could then have our own space like we could watch a show together and have a proper dinner together and get some time um yeah to to be with each other which has been so much better yeah it's yeah so it's heaps better now I still think we're probably I mean we're definitely still in a patch where obviously Charlie is the priority and the focus we probably do need to do like a little bit more I don't know like date nights and things like that but as I said she won't take the bottle so it's a bit tricky mm, we nice things yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we've done a couple of little um date nights since she's been born but we just have to be close by so that if she wakes up and she won't resettle I can pop home and feed her but yeah I suppose it's just yeah it's been a, a time where We've had to, yeah, su- support each other as much as we can, but also, I don't know, be okay with, I think we really had to kind of accept like this is just temporary, like the when we were like the ships in the night and things like that. We had to just keep reminding ourselves that, you know, we're just in the thick of it at the moment and this is just temporary and we'll get our time back and then, yeah, we'll be able to spend more time together again. And it's definitely feeling like we have much more balance now, which is really good. But there were patches there where it was like, yeah, you, you we barely got to spend any time together. Mm. So it's mm. definitely tricky, but you also mm. know you know, that that's, that's kind of the gig that, you know, that you're not going to, and there's going to be times where you're not having much sleep and that, yeah, your focuses will be shifted, you know, during those early days. So it wasn't unexpected, but it's definitely a different dynamic. Mm, Totally. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Oh, so good. Oh, lovely. And um, how about your relationship with your friends? Has that changed since yeah. you've become a mum? And do you have many friends who also have kids? Yeah, um, definitely. Oh, 
I think for the most part I'd say so my relationships haven't changed. I I have a lot of friends, a lot of, well, my close friends are sort of like core friends that I've had for a very long time. They know me in and out. Um, and so I would say that like there's none of the foundations of those friendships have changed, but definitely I've had as I said, again, like with Charlie not taking the bottle and stuff, mm. I've definitely been much more limited in how I'm able to socialise in this last, mm. you know, 10 and a half months, which has made, you know, I've had to miss some things that I would have really liked to go to, you know, some friends like, you know, this year a lot of my friends are turning 30 and so I had to miss a couple of 30ths, which, you know, it was really upsetting in one way because, you know, you want to be supporting your friends. But then also, you know, what can what can you do if you have a <laughs> if you have a little baby and they need to be breastfed and they won't take mm-hmm. a bottle, but then you also can't keep them out mm-hmm. until late. It's like it's a bit of a catch twenty two. So my friends thankfully have all been so understanding and supportive um mm-hmm. with the things that I haven't been able to do. And I've just had to be really open with them and just say, look, like I'm really upset that I'm not able to come to this. I really want to be there to support you and be honest with them and say, look, it makes me feel like I'm not being, you know, a supportive friend right now, which I really, something that's really important to me. But just while Charlie's this little and while she's not, you know, while she's only feeding from me, I'm just a bit restricted. And so... That's probably the biggest thing is just that it's restricted me a bit socially. But I knew that that would happen to a degree. I mean, it would be great if she would take a bottle and I'd have a little bit more flexibility. But then it's also, you know, I'd I'd do anything for her. And I know that this, you know, stage of her being such a little bubba is going to pass so quickly. Um, And then I'll be able to, you know, be there for all of those people again in the way that I would really like to. But, yeah, that's probably the main shift. Um, And in terms of friends who have barbs, so I have a few, probably probably like a third of my friends have bobbers. Yeah, which is really good. But a lot of my friends are all very spread out. So they're not all local, which is a pity because I'd love to be able to, you know, get get us together and get the bobs together a bit more often. But it's so hard, like traveling with little, little ones. But something that I've found really helpful is the mother's group that I joined, mm. um, that's been amazing. I've heard such mixed reviews from people <laughs> having real hit and miss experiences with mother's groups, but mine has been so amazing. Um, oh, awesome. Yeah, all of the women in the group are so lovely, so supportive, so positive, and all the bubs just, like, love playing with each other. It's so cute, but it's been so good to just have, like, we have a group chat and just you know, if you've ever got something that you're stressed about or wondering about and you pop it in the group chat, someone will have just been through it or have just seen the doctor about it or just, you know, their their sister-in-law has just had that happen or I don't know, it's just such like a little brain's trust for baby things. It's been, yes. yeah, yep. super positive. Yeah. Oh, that's so nice. That's really great that you had that experience. And how about, we were talking earlier about your sister, Em. Yeah. Who, um, yeah, is my 
friend from high school yeah. <laughs> um, and she's also going to be on next week's episode of the podcast which is yes. beautiful to do you guys back to back could you tell us a little bit more about your relationship with M and how that's kind of you know shifted since you've both become parents you yeah. know when she did and then when you did absolutely yeah. um so uh, it's a little bit it's 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 upsetting with her side of things. So when she had Wilby, the day after she had Wilby, that I lost my second bubba and I went into surgery that day. Um, and so when she had Wilbs, usually I would have been the person that she sort of called on. But I, I suppose, went into a bit of a a bit of a hole, I suppose. I was really lost and and so I wasn't there for her in the way that I otherwise would have been and in the way that I would have loved to have been. But I just didn't have the capacity to even really well to do much at all at that point, especially to be, I suppose, a, a key support with a baby, it was actually really conflicting because I'd see Wilby and it would make me so, like I love him so much and it would make me so happy and it would remind me of like the hope of what I would want to get, um, what I would want to end up with. But then obviously on the flip side, it's also such a stark reminder of what I've just lost. Yeah. And so, yeah, I wasn't able to be there for her in the way that I would want to have been when she had Wilb, but when I had Charlie, she was absolutely there for me. I feel so lucky to have had her. Yeah, she would, she'd come over and bring me lactation cookies or that time when she came and sort of gave me a little baby crash course and and watched Mm -hmm. Charlie so I could sleep and, or she'd just come over and, you know, have dinner with me while I'm feeding Charlie and sit on the couch. And yeah, she was really really supportive um because we don't really have our mum is not really in our life um unfortunately she uh yeah she she doesn't live close by and we don't have that I suppose emotionally supportive relationship with her so in that sense we yeah we we didn't have that support there we have um a beautiful stepmom who uh, is obviously, yeah, is with our dad. Um, and she is really beautiful, but she hasn't ever experienced um, pregnancy pregnancy herself um, or had, like, we're her only kids um, and we're all her stepkids. So she didn't feel as comfortable with, like, fresh bubbers and she sort of wasn't able to offer that guidance through the postpartum period um, because... Yeah, she had been through it herself. So M, yeah, was probably the the closest thing to that for me, like that sort of motherly figure. I yeah, I also have some really close friends who um provide that for me as well. But M definitely yeah, was there the most and was the um most yeah, most motherly (laughs) which she's my little sister so it's such a funny like change of roles Mm -hmm. um that and she was very 
her and I are not good at asking for help and not good at, you know, we've learned had to be like pretty independent from a, a young age. And so we've never been good at asking for help or accepting help and going into obviously from her experience postpartum, she learned, unfortunately, yeah, through not having as much support as she, you know, deserved, uh, she knew how important it was. And so she kept contacting me being like, Han, if anything, I'm going to be overbearing. Um, if you don't want me there, that's totally fine. Like, tell me, but, you know, I'm going to drop this off or I'm going to come over today and I'll have Charlie for two hours so you can have a nap. Or she kind of forced me to be more accepting of the help. And that's, yeah, something that really changed for me in that postpartum period was just learning to accept help and ask for help. Mm-hmm. And M was a big part of that. So that was, yeah, pretty amazing lesson to to learn during that time. Mm, yeah. yeah. Oh, beautiful. What a woman she is. I know. She's a powerhouse. Oh, yeah, she is. Oh, that's so beautiful that you had that relationship and she was able to be so supportive yeah. for you and that I'm sure that, you know, even though you completely understandably couldn't be at that time when she had just had Wilbur, you know, you do in so many other aspects of your life now and um, throughout your your relationship, which is really beautiful too. Oh, thanks, yeah. Jess. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Okay, and so this leads on nicely to the next question. So how um, how's your sense of your own identity changed since becoming a mum? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, I think I think I actually feel more myself than I've ever felt. Yeah, I think it's so funny. I, yeah, I think I really am meant to be a mum, if that makes sense. Like I mm-hmm. I feel very, yeah, at peace in the motherhood role. Obviously, like it's so challenging at times and <laughs> and you're tired and you're, you know, it, it, it's not without it's challenges, but, um, I definitely feel like, yeah, this is, this is kind of who I'm meant to be. I feel, I suppose before anything else, I now feel like I'm Charlie's mum. Yeah. Which I don't know, like if (laughs) obviously you still want to, I'm still figuring out balance in like trying to balance things that are, you know, feeling my cup up in other ways other than motherhood as well and doing things that are sort of just for me as well or just me and my friends or you know finding a bit more balance um but she's still quite little so it's still (laughs) we're still figuring that out but um yeah definitely now I feel yeah I feel more myself and yeah just like being Charlie's mum is the most important thing for me right now yeah mm. oh that's so beautiful I love that. <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah okay and we touched on a little bit of this I think earlier but how have you been taking care of your mental health during kind of like this first 10 months of Charlie's life and you know especially in those kind of survival mode periods or I guess in those periods it's almost like you 
you're just, you're in survival mode. So maybe outside those periods, what (laughs) techniques have you found um, useful? Oh gosh. Okay. Well, I have a psychologist that I see um, and I have like a, like I had a relationship with the psychologist prior to having Charlie. So I, before I gave birth, I set up a few appointments for sort of that postpartum period. Yeah. Just in case I needed (laughs) some support, but to be honest, I have let that fall off. Um, yeah, I have sort of not been probably prioritizing that as much as I should be lately uh, because, I don't know, you just let, you know, oh, I've got Charlie's swimming lesson on that day. Oh, it doesn't matter. I'll skip going to the psychologist or when really it is so important to look after yourself as well. But that was really helpful in those earlier days. I did go and see my psychologist probably four times um, in those early months. So maybe like once a month for the first few months. Um, And then I, when we were going through, yeah, the, the early days as well, I would try and find some moments to do some like postpartum meditations that I have. I had like, I bought these meditations that were for like pregnancy and birth and postpartum. And, um, I found them really helpful. And so I would do like when you find five minutes to to like, even if it was just before I was going to bed, when I knew that I was probably not going to get much sleep, pop in my headphones, pop on one of those meditations, and it just might help me get off to sleep and just maybe clear my mind for a couple of minutes. And then something that's actually that I find really helpful, that's like a bit different is I do these little one second a day videos. Um, yes, so I love those. I love watching those. <laughs> so Thanks, <cute>. Jess. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's actually, I found it to be a really positive thing for my mental health, which is not why I started it. I just started it. I actually started it, um, it must have been in 2020, I, originally as like, oh, a fun New Year's thing that I would do. And then we, I know, and then we entered like COVID and yeah, and I've found it to be so positive because I feel like sometimes you'll get through a week and you'll be like, what did I even do this week? I've just been doing the motions. Like, you know, you might not have stopped to kind of take in all the beautiful things that have happened through that time Mm -hmm. and doing my one second a day. While they're not, like, I do try and show, like, what's actually going on in the day, but usually it's, like, the positive moments of every day and, you know, having a moment where I'm focusing on that every day and then looking back at that at the end of the week or the end of the month reminds me, like, how full my life is and reminds me of all the wonderful people we've seen that month, all the things that we've learned, all the things that Charlie's learned. Like, yeah, I find it to be a real way to focus on yeah, all of the good stuff. Cause sometimes you can get bogged down in being tired or, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm not seeing people as much as I used to, but then you look back on it and you go, actually, we, we've done a lot and yeah, there's been some really good stuff. Yeah. Oh, so nice. <laughs> so good. And how's everything going for you guys now? Yeah, really good. I feel like we're in a really good stage. I love, I love this age with Charlie, like the 10, I mean, like approaching 11 months. Um, She's just got such a little personality now. She's so cheeky. She's 
like walking around with a walker and just running around the house and yeah it's um it's good and because she's because she's eating solids now obviously I still you know am feeding her as well but I feel like she, I don't know, we can get out and about with her a bit more, you know, bring some snacks and she's happy. (laughs) And yeah, I just feel like we've got a bit more balance now for sure. Um, Whereas earlier on you feel like, well, I felt like, you know, it's all, it's all baby focused, which is totally fine. Like that's what the early days are, (laughs) are about. But I feel like we're getting much more balanced now and she's, much more aware of things and curious about things. So she's enjoying the outings as well. And, you know, she loves seeing the people that we love and yeah, it's a, it's a really good time. I think it's a fun Mm. age and it's, yeah, I'm looking forward to everything that's to come because I feel like she, I don't know, just seeing them learn things and um, have new experiences and everything it's just so, yeah, it's so special, special. Yeah. So, yeah. as you know. Oh, yeah, oh, and it just keeps getting better and better. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, really, I feel like you understand that thing that people always say, which is like, you know, this age is my favourite age. Oh, no, this age. Like, yeah. Every new totally. age they come, you're like, oh, <laughs> so fun. Oh, that's so good. exciting I can to imagine. think of everything that's <laughs> Ah, oh, lovely. And do you have any kind of words of advice or comfort for any new parents, whether they're about to become parents or, you know, are in the thick of that postpartum period? Yeah, I suppose I, it's probably a little bit, I don't know if it's a bit cliche, <laughs> but one thing that's been really helpful for me is that um, focus of everything is a season. Like everything will pass, everything will change. So just try to, yeah, be, I suppose, present. And like when you have the wins, enjoy that win. When you're going through a tough patch, know that it will pass um, and things will shift and change. Yeah, that's probably the biggest thing that's helped me, you know, with both her weight gaining challenges and her and the sleep challenges. Um it's so much easier to to say than to accept, but I think that now that I kind of believe that much more, <laughs> it makes everything easier because if she's having a really rough night or if she's refusing food for a couple of meals or something like that, it's much more, it prevents me from spiralling my thoughts out and going, oh, my gosh, she's not going to eat then she's not going to gain weight and then I'm going to have to go into the doctors and then, you know, you're going, no, this is just today. She's not feeling hungry right now. We'll try again at the next meal time. So I think that everything is a season, yeah, is a good mm. is a good one that helped me. Mm, I love that. and Not cliche at all. It's oh. so important. <laughs> <laughs> it's important to think about that kind of stuff definitely and to try and remember that. Yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> All right, we're up to our last question Oh, my now. gosh, and perfect oh. timing. Charlie's just woken yeah. up. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> um, what is the one thing that you have found the most surprising about motherhood? Oh, my gosh, that is a really, it's a tricky one. There's so many surprising mm. things, but I think, like, one that one thing that I found surprising in a sense um is such a beautiful thing so it's how amazing it feels 
to see the people that you love, love your bubba. And it wasn't surprising in the sense, like I knew that the people I love were going to love her, but I didn't know how amazing it would feel to watch like your best friend just love your bubba or your sister love your bubba or even the people that surprise you a little bit more. Like I have, um, a whole heap of nephews and nieces on Chris's side and they're all a bit older and our nephews on that side are teenage boys. And so, you know, you expect them to be like, oh, she's cute, but then, you know, go on with their life because they're teenage boys. They've got important things going on. (laughs) But they just get so, like, smushy with her. They're just so, like, doting and they just love her so much. And it's just, it's so nice to see I suppose that love, mm. yeah, like show, like shine through the people in your life for your, you know, daughter or your son. It's just so special. Yeah. So I think that's the thing that's been, yeah, surprising. Not that it's happened, but just like how much it means to me to see that. It's, yeah, it's a beautiful oh, part nice. of becoming a parent, I think. Mm, totally. Yeah. I love that you say that. And you were mentioning before that, you know, as she's getting older and she's like interacting with those people that you yeah. love and you start to see her get so excited yeah. in this like really particular way, like when <laughs> she sees those people too and that love will just keep growing and that's yeah. so, it's so beautiful to see. I love that. Oh, I, yeah, it must be, yeah, it must just get better and better. So, I'm, yeah, oh, I love it. And I'm excited to see. Going for a treat. <laughs> oh, so yeah. nice. Oh, well, thank you so much, Hannah, for coming on to the podcast today. It's been really lovely to have you on and thank you so much as well for talking, you know, so openly about your experiences with your losses and, you know, everything that comes with that and with your, about your mum and everything like that as well. It's so, so great that you can be so vulnerable and I'm sure that your your stories will help so many other people. Oh, thank you so much, Charles. That's so, so nice of you to say. I know I am honoured to be on the podcast. So thank you for inviting Mm. me on to share my story. And yeah, thank you for sharing these stories as well. I feel like it's so Mm. important to have more of these stories out there to help you during those Mm. times when you're feeling lost Mm. and overwhelmed and you have no idea what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. These sorts of stories will be really yeah, helpful um, and make people feel less alone. So thanks, Jels. Yeah, yeah, oh, thank you. I really hope so. <laughs> oh, beautiful. <laughs> thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I hope that you enjoyed it. Sharing our stories is a powerful way to connect to ourselves and others, allowing us to break down barriers and address things that aren't talked about enough. If you would like to share your story on Definitely Baby, please find the form on the Instagram bio at, at definitelybabypodcast or you can email definitelybabypodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please give it a rating on whichever platform you're listening on and share it with anyone you think may benefit from or enjoy it. This podcast is my passion project and I love bringing it to you. So I, I really do appreciate your support. Now I'll see you next week for another lovely episode.